Mindfulness Mode 237. If I see an animal, I'll say, are you just kind of crossing my path or you have a message? Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks again for joining me here, Mindful Tribe. Always so great to have you with us. Last time, I talked with someone who uses the X-Men. Yes, the X-Men from the comic book series as a model for his entire business. He was bullied at 10 years old, opened an X-Men comic book, and was inspired. That action started an entire career path called Archangel. And you can hear more all about it from Giovanni Marsico at mindfulnessmode.com slash 236. Hey, Mindful Tribe, have you ever wanted to practice mindfulness with your children? It can be so much fun and so rewarding and help your children learn the benefits of being calm and relaxed and, of course, still being the children they're meant to be. Well, I have a free ebook I've written called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child every day for seven minutes. Download it at mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways, two one ways. And that's a free book for you, Mindful Tribe. Today, we're going to hear from an upbeat, courageous, cutting edge speaker trainer, Broadway singing phenomena. She is an all round amazing, dynamo woman and I tell you she will knock your socks off. Sit back, relax and enjoy the mindful vibrations of Cindy Ashton. Hey everybody, I'm so excited today. I have Cindy Ashton with me. This is going to be so much fun. Hey Cindy, are you in mindfulness mode? Um, is mindfulness mode possible to be like full of exuberance and excitement? That's being mindful if I'm present to it. Yes, it is. You are absolutely okay. right. So I'm definitely in mindfulness. You definitely are. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Cindy Ashton. She's a performer, a singer, a musical theater actress, and a blast of energy. If you haven't figured that out already, she inspires people wherever she goes. And she's known for her ability to entertain absolutely anywhere. Right there, on the spot. Her natural ability combined with her second city experience at doing improvisational comedy probably has a lot to do with this part of her sparkling personality. Well, she studied performing arts, opera, kinesiology, so she's all about movement. One of her most recent projects is a TV show called Cindy Uncorked. Described as a daring, hilarious, and intelligent talk show that tackles important women's issues from a fresh perspective. And there's so much more to say, but I want to get into this conversation with you, Cindy. So anyway, so great to reconnect. Let's talk about what mindfulness means to you, Cindy. Yeah, that's a great question. For me, mindfulness, and you've probably heard this from a lot of your guests, but it's really about being present. And I think the missing piece of this is being present with everything and allowance for everything that's showing up because often we get present and then we go, Oh, this is showing up. I need to be positive. And we try to change it as opposed to allowing it to be there. 
And allowing is something that's not easy for everybody to figure that out, <laughs> is it? It sounds so yep. easy. You just allow. So how do yeah, you actually do allow. it? That's a great question. <laughs> it's about really feeling the discomfort, you know, feeling like, oh, I'm getting this pain in my shoulder and I really don't want to have to think about this thing. So I'm just going to be positive. Oh, wait, I just deflected. And then you start to realize and go, okay, so the mindfulness is that it's here and it's not comfortable, but I can't avoid it. So what does it feel like to breathe into the discomfort? I'm going to breathe into the shoulder and this memory I'm having or this whatever is coming up. Just breathe into it. Let myself feel it. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. And let's go. Well, it's kind of like feel the fear and do it anyway, right? Which is a popular expression that we've heard. It is. And I actually don't like that expression. Tell me. Tell me what you think about that. I say feel the fear and investigate it because often our fears are, sometimes they are false fears and you just got to do it anyways, but our fears are, is something is coming up that's some kind of a resistance. There's a reason for that resistance. And sometimes it's that niggling and sometimes that intuition that's saying, okay, stop sign. This is not the right opportunity. All that glitters is not gold. Can't even tell you the number of time I've had big opportunities that look like they're amazing and they are on paper. And then I'm like, oh, why are you so resistant? Just go for it. And then I go for it. And yes, it was an amazing opportunity that looks great on paper, but I had a terrible experience. Mm. And I've really learned that it's not about feel the fear and do it. It's about feel the fear and investigate. Oh, wow. Good. Well, you are a coach for those wanting to be speakers and being a speaker, you know, that's one of our biggest fears, you know, that people say that public speaking is one of our biggest fears ever. How do you bring people? Yeah. How do you coach people who want to be speakers and bring them to that point where they're relaxed, focused, they're mindful about what they want to say and they come across great on stage? How do you do it? Yeah. So it's really, I am a little unconventional because the traditional speaking training is what I call robot training. And it actually takes people out of their bodies. It's very much, oh, well, you're nervous. So let me teach you to stand here and make this gesture and memorize this sentence. And it's very much all in the head. But what happens is is if you do speaker training in a sense where it's all about being very canned, very posed, everything memorized and in the head, so you don't have to worry, quote unquote, about making a wrong mistake because you've memorized it all. Well, guess what? You're so in your freaking head about this that how are you possibly truly listening and connecting to the people you're delivering to? And if you happen to have that one moment where you forgot that one gesture or that one line, it's going to throw off your whole performance. So I call it robot training. I think it's it's terrible personally. I'm not shy to say that. And I know a lot of people say I'm a little too bold in saying that, but I just think that people are magnificent and beautiful. And so with me, I go the opposite way where the first thing I do with my clients is get them down on a yoga mat and learning how to breathe deep in their body and learning where are they feeling that tension and that fear and the stuff that's holding them back and learning how to release that. And then once they've started to be in their body and be present and be mindful, then it's about let's get up and do some comedy improv and get you in your body. Because when you do comedy improv, all the judgment and all that crap that's going on in your head that's stopping you from being the best presenter you can be, it's gonna show up in your interactions when you're improvising. And through learning how to do improv, you learn to, again, drop in your body, you learn to take the attention off yourself and put the attention on another human being, i.e. your audience, 
and really be able to take in the cues from them and respond from that. And that releases so much because people start to learn to be comfortable in who they are. They learn to connect with people in a more authentic way. They learn to read people. And that's really important. So a lot of the times when I talk to my speakers and we're working through content, you know, the focus with me is like, I want you to focus on your audience. If you feel nervous, focus on your audience and really focus on delivering to them and get out of your head. Because if you're trying to be perfect, they're going to feel disconnected from you because you're so in your head and disconnected from your body. But if you're focused on them, then all of a sudden somebody does something and you laugh with them and the rest of the audience laughs. And, and then you're picking up that they're loving certain content. So you stay on that content a bit longer and you tell more stories on it, or you notice that they're, that they're being colder with you. Like you actually pick up what they're doing so you can respond to them. And because they can feel that you're with them, they're not going to notice your quote unquote flaws, which by the way, make you human and more relatable. So see, I'm really on a soapbox about this because because yeah, I'm, well, very, I believe you. I'm very upset about what the speaking world is doing. I think it's just it's just making people into robots. It is very upsetting when people are magnificent and we should be celebrating their magnificence and allowing their real true selves to come out. Yeah, so when you say look at your audience, you mean look, have eye contact, really create that connection with your audience, right? Yes, and it's about feeling the energy that's coming at you. It's actually deeper than just physically looking at them. It's actually feeling, which is why I do a lot of work in getting into the body because the body will always tell you. Your body is always talking to you. And when you do comedy improv and you learn to feed off your instincts, what happens is, is that because you're in your body and you're in your instincts, you get stuff from the audience. And just like comedy improv, you learn how to respond in a way that's authentic and truly connected to them. So, it's a lot deeper to go that way, but it has profound effects on not just my speakers, but my salespeople. I have so many salespeople who know the sales process, but they go, they double and triple their sales after working with me because they learn to actually be present with people and not stuck in their head about the sales process. I really love this because, you know, I've done almost <laughs> 1800 presentations myself, live presentations. And when I learn to look at the audience and connect with mm-hmm. them and read them, that's when it started to really improve. But how do you do this with TV? Or if you're in front of a video camera, you're creating a video for your audience. How do you do it then? That's a great question. So it's what I always tell my clients to do. There's, there's several different techniques, but I'll give you one to get started. Is that when you have that camera in front of you, you place somebody that you love and adore that you know would be thrilled to hear what you have to say and eat up that message. And it's not just putting their face there. It's getting something so specific that triggers you. So if I was going to go into camera and I had to deliver a message and let's say that I, that my friend Julie was the person that I knew that was going to love this and be enthusiastic and eat it up. I would look and say, what part of her lights me up? And it's like those dimples of hers. So when I put her in the camera, I'm also seeing the dimples and it automatically makes me warmer and softer. Oh, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Think about one specific person and deliver to them as you're talking into that camera. Right. That's right. But a specific part of them that lights you up. Right. Because otherwise it's too general. Okay. So you think of a so, specific aspect of that person. 
Right, whether it's their dimples or their bright, sparkly eyes or their smile or something, that every time you see it, you can't help but just laugh and be joyful and be in that space of a softer, graceful space where it will invite people in. Most speaking training, I find, is about pushing yourself on the audience versus inviting them in. Right. Okay, yeah. I, I, I agree with, with what you say. Now, I want to kind of change the direction here slightly okay. because, you know, I didn't include this in the intro, but this, I'm just dying to ask this. I know that one of the things about you is that you have received awards from President Obama, the Queen of <laughs> England. You've like, how does somebody get awards from the Queen of England and President Obama? Tell me all about this. I have to know. That's a really good question. I, I, okay, so I don't want to diminish my accomplishments. So here's what I will say is that in both countries, I have done extensive, extensive, extensive amounts of volunteer work and has raised tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars for various charities and have been consistent. So my first outreach was at 11 years old. I was absolutely horrified by how we were chopping down these rainforests and the Amazon. And I literally at 11 years old gathered two other friends and we raised enough money to buy 11 acres of rainforest. And that was my first venture. And since then it has been consistent from doing yearly concerts and producing like yearly productions and concerts for different charities to going and speaking and going into shelters and helping these women present with more confidence to everything. So Here's the thing, there's a lot of people, and yes, I've done a copious amount of volunteer work. So they were volunteer awards. They were awards for people who've done extraordinary amounts of impact and humanitarian work and give back and volunteer words. And so, yes, I've done a lot. And I think there's been a lot of people who've also done a lot who have not been recognized. And I really feel I was recognized because I'm a public figure. And, and, and so it, it feels like I'm extremely grateful for the awards. It's pretty amazing to have. I don't know if anyone else in the world has one from the Queen and the President. Um, but I also feel it's because I'm on stages all the time and because my work is so public that people, that the right representatives always see me because I'm in the public. And like I said, I feel like there's a lot of unsung heroes who've done just as much as me, if not more. Right, right. Well, you know, you've done, it's amazing all the things you've done and that's incredible. But I know that, you know, when we talk about entrepreneurs, a lot of people will say, you know, if you want to do well in business, if you want to do well in as an entrepreneur, you have to think of one word and do that first. And they'll say, think of the word give. Is that your philosophy too, to give to others first? Because it sure sounds like it. No. It's not actually. Well, let's talk about that. Expand <laughs> on that. I want to hear all about this. Yeah. So I I am all about being in the flow of giving and receiving. And I find that the majority of people, namely women, tend to overgive and then they're not seen as an authority. And I see a lot of men and women give so much content, whether they're a speaker or in networking, that people feel like their problem is completely solved and they feel good when they walk away, but they don't feel like they have to convert to hire. So that's the first level is, is, is you definitely want to be giving and generosity, doing referrals for people when you can, helping when you can. But when it comes to your expertise, your job is more about helping people to have insights into where they're at, 
and where they want to go and that one or two nuggets as to why they're not there because then having that insight will make them go oh i guess i need to work with bruce i need to work with cindy because they have insight versus Bruce, how are you feeling today? And I give you a quick fix and you're like, great, I'm great to go. But had I really taken time to get to know you deeper and really figured out where that gap is, I would say, here's a quick thing. But just so you know, here's an insight for you that and and you're going to go, oh, I didn't realize that's why I'm not whatever. And then it would be like, are you curious to know more? Maybe we could do a, a schedule a consultation. So I'm all about giving, but you can't, A, you can't give away what you don't have. I find people exhaust themselves being overly giving. And two, when you give, it's fine to give nuggets, but you need to, but you're going to, you're going to give far more value to people if you give them insight into where they're at and where they want to grow and how you can help them or how you can get somebody else to help them. So that's kind of the first layer. Do you want to comment on that before I go on? Yeah, well, I think I think that's a very good point. I think, you know, there's so much emphasis on that, that a lot of people think, oh, I have to give so much that they're literally exhausted before mm-hmm. and they're still not making a penny. So, yeah, and you can't if you're not making any money doing what you love, you can't do more of it to help people. Right. 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 The other piece of something that I'm going to be doing a Facebook Live about very shortly Um, Because your original question is, when you want to go into business and build your business, it's about giving first. Is that what your question was? Yes, yes. So the second piece is, is, is about being aware of your trauma and how that is showing up. And nobody is talking about this, and I need to start talking about it. I've been doing what I've been doing for 20 years. And what I can tell you is that a lot of the time I have speakers come to me, and they've worked with other people who are highly reputable but they didn't get results. And because I go deeper than the average speaker trainer, there's two things I've noticed with these clients. And this is gonna be the same for salespeople, business people, whatever, okay? The first is, is that when they're doing, when they're on stage and delivering a story, even though they've done work on themselves and they've seen, they've done healings and whatever, when they, they still have another layer to go because when they tell that story, suddenly their breath changes or their jaw gets angry or whatever. There's subtle changes that's happening in their, in their stress patterns. And remember, I have a degree in kinesiology, specialization in relaxation therapy. So I've made these connections over my 20 year career. But what I've realized is that even though you may present with confidence, if there are slight changes in your stress patterns because you haven't really overcome that, your audience is subconsciously gonna feel that and they're gonna go, she was brilliant, but I don't know, I'm just not feeling like I wanna invest. There's part of them that either doesn't trust you because there's your voice got shaky or part of them that doesn't believe, looks at you and feels sorry for you because they can tell you have labored breathing because they're still upset over it. No one's gonna buy from somebody who is carrying that level of trauma because they're gonna be busy trying to help you and feel sorry for you. They're not seeing you as the authority. So that's the first level that I'm seeing, but the second level, and again, it's the same in networking. If you're networking and you're carrying that, people feel that stuck energy or that pushing energy or that grieving or whatever you're going through. Um, So that has an influence on a subconscious level of how people perceive you. But the other level of it that I notice with my clients, and I have to be careful of how I talk about this because I don't want specific clients to know that I'm talking about them. So I'm going to do a general of what I've seen over the years. 
I have, I do premier level services with my clients. So they don't pay me per hour. They pay for deliverables and I give them unlimited time and access to me until we get to those deliverables. And I may need to change my pricing for people who are carrying trauma because what I've noticed about those people is that they will, for example, email me five to 10 times a day because they're so in panic and they don't trust themselves. They're like, okay, so what do you think of this? And I answer my emails twice a day for my clients. So they don't get immediate response, but it's twice a day. I mean, it's still a lot compared to most people. But the interesting thing is, is that I find with a lot of these clients is that if I give them those few hours, they'll email me later and say, oh, I realized that this is a better approach because they were going out of fear on the first approach. But once they calmed down, they came with a better approach and then asked my feedback. So with my traumatized clients, I actually have to wait till the very end of the day before I answer their clients or their emails. So, but they don't trust themselves when they're, when I teach them how to land high paid bookings, um, I'll get them to a certain level. They do some reach out and then they get the conversation and they're excited because they're about to close the sale, but then their panic rolls in. They're not patient to wait for the person to get back to them. They email them too much. They, they totally come out of a place of panic and fear. And so it's, um, there. So I find with those, with those clients, they'll get results with me, but I have to personally manage my energy because I'm literally getting five to 10 panicked emails a day. So I have to really hold my space. But they've worked with a lot of other people, but they get results with me because I'll email them back and say, hey, listen, this feels like like it might that like you're spinning. So I'm not saying I think you have trauma. And usually when they start to write their speeches, I see what trauma they had in their childhood and I confirm it. But um, I'll, I'll write an email back and say, hey, um, this feels like you're spinning. So then it's a little gentler instead of saying, I know that this happened to you in your past. Um, and say, I know that you're spinning what I, I know that you, you have the power in yourself. I would love for you to take, you know, the next 15 minutes just to breathe and feel your body and drop your breath and really notice if this where the spinning is coming from and really ask your body and yourself, what of these ideas feel right? Or does this, you know what I mean? Or when they, so I, I have to coach them that way without calling it out because a lot of these people are very conscious people who've done a lot of work and they don't realize that they've only done the first layer and there's so much deeper and I'm not a therapist. Right. Although right. I certainly do a lot with, did you breathe? Did you calm down? Did you, you know, or I'll have to give them or they, or, and they email me like 20 paragraphs, emails. <laughs> wow. And I know, and I can know when somebody is a person who is a person who's been traumatized, they are all over the place. And they, you know, whereas people who have gone through their healing and are more grounded will be like one or two paragraphs. Hey, Cindy, I have a meeting with this person. How do I approach? Thanks so much. And it's clear, whereas I have to sift through. And so because I can't read 20 page emails, I have to go back and say, Hey, listen, this is a lot of information. Can you please, here's five questions that I want you to answer for me. So I have to continually teach them how to streamline and breathe. And it does take me longer, a lot longer to get results with them than somebody who is not traumatized because I'm not having to manage the crazy that's going on in a very non-judgmental way. We've all had trauma in some way or another. Right. Well, you know, it's very interesting. I'm go going to cut in here for a second, yes, Cindy, because, you know, I'm just really noticing that you're using the word trauma so much that, you know, I think that's the thing. And you can tell me if you think it's true. In our society, we're not taught how to deal with trauma. Would no. you agree with that? 
Absolutely. Yeah, my wife is a trauma nurse. So oh. I, I kind of experience how she deals with trauma wow. on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, that's the thing. Now, I'm getting from you that a lot of the way to deal with it is to start with the breath. Now you've talked about journaling, basically, because you're talking about, you know, you're asking those five questions, get them to jot those down and, you know, answer them in writing. What other ways can people do to deal with this trauma that they are experiencing, that we're all experiencing? Yeah. So just to be clear, like with those five questions, it's not to help them through their trauma, Okay. but it's to help them to get out of all the crazy in their head and be able to answer. And like I'll say, I want you to answer each of these questions in one line or less. So I need you to take time to breathe and really feel what's the most relevant information because I'm teaching people presenting and communication skills. You cannot be throwing up on people can't and even if you're not a speaker you can't be throwing up on people so um in terms of other ways of getting through trauma i have found through i think that there's a lot of different modalities i think there's a lot of different ways out there um that, that a person can get through trauma for me i have done everything from seeing psychiatrists to therapists to life coaches and none of that actually worked for me mm. I mean, I'm a smart girl, I can figure it out in my head, but that wasn't releasing it from my body. So what was interesting was a couple of things. Um, In terms of real trauma, I found what really helped me was um, Dana Ferrant. And she's an awesome person to look up, Dana Ferrant, um, P-H-A-R-A-N-T. You should totally interview her, she's amazing. But she is brilliant at not having people relive their trauma, but going to the point of where it was creating and destroying all those ties and just releasing all the trauma from the body. Like she's being exceptional for me. And she's somebody that I check in once a month to make sure that nothing else has come up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's well, been really, really helpful for me. Um, sexual stuff has been doing tantric sex has been huge for me because it's learning how to be intimate in a very present way. That's being a huge healer for me, except for it's just not a conversation I can have with clients saying, please find somebody who's trained, highly trained in Tantra to help you through releasing this and getting to deeper trust and intimacy. It's not a conversation I can have (laughs) with them. Well, it's it's interesting. I've been following you for a few years since since we met at that event in Toronto, That's which so was crazy. which was ignite and implement. And you, it just seemed like you made that whole thing come together. You made you yeah. were the connection, you know, between Thank each you. speaker, between each act. You get up there. Sometimes you sang. Sometimes you you know just spoke. But you always had something that was thought provoking, something that was maybe a laugh or a chuckle. But it just really sewed that whole event together are you gonna sing for us today cindy i sure I hope could. so yeah yeah what um, could you sing for us what can you sing I for us could. today i'm gonna sing for you in the whole neighborhood are we ready oh yeah i'm um, ready all right summertime and the living is easy and the cotton is high all your daddy's rich and your mama good looking so hush little baby don't you cry 
I just love that. Thank you so much. That is fantastic. Thank and you know, you. I can't help but notice as I watch and listen to you, you know, so much of it, it's all about the breathing, you know, you have such an open and relaxed tone. And, you know, I taught music for years in a school. That's and, right. You know, and I would, and I hear people playing instruments or singing. I'm going, come on, you got to breathe. You know, you're just not breathing. You know, you're just tightening up and you're just not relaxing and letting it out. But we need to do that in every area of our lives, not just if we're singing or performing. We need to stop, relax, and breathe. And a lot of times you can do it through meditation or connected with meditation. Mm. Do you meditate, Cindy? And if of you do, do. Yeah, tell us about it. What's your meditation look like? Yeah, so in the mornings, I put on my Sanskrit chanting, oh, Madhi Padme, hum, whatever it is. And I, and instead of me singing it, I let myself receive it. So I do different yoga postures while I let myself receive that. And it's more like yin yoga, which is more holding the poses for three minutes at a time. So it's very meditative and breathing and letting go. Um, and then in the evenings, I do a variety of different things, but I usually do about a, a solid hour of Vien yoga. But often what I'll do is I'll sit and meditate and my and different spirit animals will just come and talk to me, which is really awesome. I like that. Spirit animals. Can you expand on that? Tell us what that yeah, means. So it's more of native traditions and it's interesting because I've never studied native traditions. Um, but I was out in the woods last summer and I was by myself for months on end. That was when I was getting my recovery for my surgery. My friend had invited me to the middle of the woods and it was literally so isolated. Top of the mountain. Nobody was there. I could run around naked if I want to. And I did once. Although the one time I did, the groundskeeper was there. But um, I kind of regretted that. I was like, oh, sorry. Thought nobody was here. Um, <laughs> he was thrilled, I'm sure. Um but yeah, so it was interesting because the first time, you know, so I'm already a channel and a medium and it's not something I talk about publicly, but I am a channel and a medium and I can talk to dead people and channel people for you. Um, but it's interesting because I saw this hawk and it kept circling and I'm like, why is it circling? And obviously it's looking for prey, but... But it was like, why are you trying? And I'm like, oh, is it trying to get my attention? So I closed my eyes and I said, are you trying to talk to me? And suddenly I got a huge download of what this hawk was trying to say to me. I opened my eyes and he or she flew away. And I'm like, okay. And then I'm driving the next day and a red fox crosses my path. And I was like, oh, for heaven's sakes. So then I sit in meditation. I'm like, dear red fox, do you have a message for me? Boom, hits me. And I'm like, okay, suddenly I'm an animal whisperer. So I started to, and then the deer would come talk to me <laughs> so it's kind of crazy so now I have animals come and talk to me all the time and so even when I'm walking if I see an animal I'll say are you just kind of crossing my path or you have a message and they'll come and talk to me so I have animals come and talk to me all the time well, that's fascinating. It really is. And, you know, like interesting that you're so tuned into the trauma part of people because my wife is too, and she can sit down in a chair and in no time she has animals all around her. Our two cats, our dog, they're just like, one of them's on top of the chair. They're just like there. And it's just, I'm like, okay, so I feed the dog too. Like, why doesn't the dog come to me in the same way? But it's because of energy, right? It's because of the vibrations. It's because those animals sense it in a person. At least that's what I believe. Oh, I believe that too, for sure. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, well, Cindy, sure. I want to transition. I want to ask you, since I've worked in bullying prevention for so long, and I, I totally feel that mindfulness is so connected to that. Were yes. you ever bullied? Do you oh, have a course. story about oh, bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah. I mean, I've been bullied most of my life until the last few years, which really? is interesting. Yeah. So as a child, because I had had three heart surgeries and I had all these scars on me and I was born with a 20% chance of living and the left side of my body, it wasn't just my heart, but the whole left side of my body was structurally damaged. So I had to have casts on my legs to learn how to walk. I had a lisp and had to have speech therapy to learn how to speak. So I was a very deformed looking kid with uh-huh. all this damage on the left side of her body, plus these giant scars. And so I was always the girl who was ugly and unworthy and beat up on the playground for being ugly and having scars. And by the time I got to high school, it didn't stop. But it was like I was the girl who could never get a boyfriend because no guy would. I was too ugly for any man to ever want to date me or be with me. Um, And then as a performer, you go to auditions and I wouldn't say this is bullying, but it happens to a lot of women. You know, I was a size five and it wasn't skinny enough. Yeah, you know, and I wasn't pretty enough and I didn't have any, apparently I had no sex appeal. The top casting director in Canada, whose name shall be, you know, silent, um, because she's still extremely prominent, literally said to me, I went into an audition and she said, you're one of the most talented people I've seen and you have a better voice than most of the people I cast and I will never cast you because you have no sex appeal. And so that's not bullying, but I mean, my entire life, I've never been enough until I learned how to be enough with myself. And now it's like, here I am. (laughs) Take it or leave it. (laughs) And now you're doing Cindy Uncorked, a TV show. You're in San Diego. What brought you to San Diego? And tell us a little bit more about that TV show. (laughs) Okay. So what brought me to San Diego, I'm going to try to tell you the short end of the version because it was a spirit led thing. Um, 10 years ago, I was living in Canada and Canada is an amazing country, but I knew that it's not where I belonged. And I was trying to get a youth visa at the time I was under 35 to go to France because I thought I can go be a cabaret singer, but it wasn't working, even though it's a pretty easy visa to get. And I ended up through a weird series of things, ended up on this, on going on this Bob Proctor cruise. And I landed in San Diego And I still remember that moment 10 years ago that my foot hit the curb and my whole body opened up and and I said, oh, I'm home. And I'm like, I'm home? It's California? So my brain, though, thought California and didn't realize it wasn't specifically San Diego. So I moved to L.A. and I had huge successes and huge failures. And that was a very amazing and really painful time in my life when I was in California. And the whole time I'm like, I thought I was supposed to come to California. I don't know why you know, I'm having all this struggle. It doesn't make sense to me because I'm, I followed my guidance. So then I went back to Canada in the two year period that I saw you and met you. Then I said, I'm going to go to New York because I belong in New York. What's this California crap? And New York was amazing in a lot of ways, but my, it really took a bad toll on my health and, and all that jazz. And then I went on tour as you know, and this last year I've been on tour and I ended up in San Diego and all of a sudden everything's like magic. All of a sudden, it's like I go somewhere and five clients, five new people are like, I need to work with you. And I get clients without even trying. Suddenly, I go to the beach and I'm like, oh, I should package this stand up and bring it back to New York. Suddenly, I have like all these friends and I'm like, wow, I've never been able to make more than five friends in New York all the years I was there. Maybe I should like figure out how to make friends when I go back to New York. And then one day, so I'm still thinking, how do I create this San Diego experience in New York City? And then one day I'm driving 
And that little memory of me stepping on the curb in San Diego, and I'm like, oh, shit, it was San Diego this whole time. It wasn't California general. It was San Diego. So I said, okay, I guess I moved to San Diego. So that's how I ended up here. Wow. wow. So this time I so this time I got it. I listened a little more carefully. Um <laughs> Well, ten-year detour. A great story. You've certainly had a <laughs> fascinating ten-year detour. That's for sure. It was a very weird detour, and every piece of it was absolutely perfect. It has brought me to where I am. So the first time that I had left California after that crazy thing, you know, my biggest frustration my whole life is like I am the performer, and I love performing, but I'm also the teacher, and I love coaching my clients on presentation skills, right. and I always have to choose. And is there a way for me to be both the entertainer and the educator? And I'm like, I should have my own TV show. So six years ago, at this time, July, I actually wrote the show Bible for Cindy Uncorked. And over the years, I just kept honing the message, honing the marketing plan, doing all this kind of stuff. And so essentially I ended up last summer had, it's not really a network, but they do distribution for TV shows and they're like, oh, we're a network, but I don't consider it a network because they didn't pay me. Like now I'm on a real network where I get paid to do what I love. Um, but I ended up producing, self-producing Cindy Uncorked and it went out to the world and it was a really painful experience because my vision and how it came out were two different things. I mean, I think I captured some of the essence and some of the messaging, but I've never produced anything in my own, in my life. And I, except for concerts, but that's different than a TV thing. Right. And I am not a producer. So I've had a lot of people give me praise on it, which I appreciate. But as somebody who's a top performer in both my careers, I was like, this needs to be better. And it's my first flight. Right. So I've had to learn a lot of compassion with it. Still right. learning. Uh -huh. But obviously I did a good enough job that I got picked up by a big network, which I will be announcing in the next couple of weeks because I will be live on their network um, mm. website. So it's really cool. So obviously, even though I'm a perfectionist and not terribly happy with the first run of it, um, I did good enough. I mean, they really liked the show and they actually on this network turned down a show that was number one on the Discovery Channel in the UK. And yet they took my little show on. Ah. So I'm, I'm actually realizing that the show is actually a pretty good show. So, um, but I'm very happy to have somebody else producing season three because I'm not a producer and I just want to be my genius. Wow. So that's great. <laughs> so yeah. So essentially, let me tell you about the message behind Cindy on okay. court. I am so done with talk shows that shame people. I don't know any talk show except for Ellen that isn't about Oh, you need to lose weight. You need to look skinnier. You need to look younger. You need to, you need to, you need to, you need to. It's this whole shaming and this whole message that you are um, broken and you need to be fixed. And they play on people's fears and I'm so freaking over it. And they're not really dealing with issues on a deep level in the way that they need to be. So with City Uncorked, of course, there's all kinds of adventure and fun, especially in season three when somebody else is producing it. But what I'm excited about is that is that I go with the assumption that everybody watching my show is beautiful and brilliant and that I am simply helping them to tap into that deeper brilliance within themselves. And we're talking about stuff that people haven't really been talking about. So why are we talking about how to have better sex instead of talking about trauma that sits in women's vaginas? Well, makes sense. I got, right. I mean, I got really good hate mail and a death threat on that 
episode, but I also got like hundreds and hundreds of women and some men saying, oh, I understand because trauma isn't just sexual trauma in the vagina. It has to do, you could fall down the stairs and that's traumatic because there's a brain connection with the nerves to your vaginal wall. Anyways, but that's a whole other topic, but we're tackling topics in a much deeper way and a much more intelligent way. And of course, cause I'm fun. We have fun on the show and there's a little bit of wine drinking, even though I'm not really a drinker, but it's, um, I'm really proud of the show and I'm very excited to see where it's going to go now that I have a professional company network doing this for me. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing some episodes, even though I'm in Canada, I don't know if I'll be able to see, you can it see them. Can I? Oh, oh we're, get, uh, we're getting, I'm getting syndicated worldwide. Oh, okay. So that's great. That's awesome news. Yeah. Well, Cindy, as we wrap up the interview, I just want to ask yeah. you five super quick, quick answer questions. And okay. the first one is this, who is one person, just one person who has influenced your mindfulness in your life? Oh, interesting. I would say as a child, it was Madonna because it was not so much about the mindfulness, although she's become very mindful over, over the years, but it was more that she opened my eyes to how women were being treated and the injustices between the equality and about how to stand bold and be who you are. So it's not fully mindfulness, but she's been my biggest influence as a child. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Cindy? Oh, I'm so much more, oh, I, nothing, I don't get triggered very often anymore. And I find that I don't react. I just listen and I'm present with people. And so I don't take things personally and I'm there and I'm staying in love most of the time. So the next question, we've talked about it so much. It's about breathing. How is breathing a part of your mindfulness? So we really talked about it a lot, but maybe you can sum it up with like one sentence. Constant. It's something that I constantly, all through the day, check in. Am I breathing down into my pelvic floor? Am I dropping into my body? It's about being mindful of it 24-7, so I'm present. And tell us this. Do you have a book you could recommend which is related to this whole topic of mindfulness? I love the book called Wild Feminine. Wild Feminine, because it's really about women tapping into their pelvic floors and being mindful of of the power of their pelvic floor and being mindful of, and there's a lot of exercises where you get to know your vagina and your pelvic floor and be mindful and heal the trauma in there. So I think it's an amazing book for women to read and men who want to be educated about their women. Okay. All right. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Maybe it's productivity. Yes. Oh, you do have oh an app? My okay. God. Okay, of great. I do. My favorite app is Yoga Glow, G L O, no W, Yoga Glow. And what I love about Yoga Glow is that they have over 4,000 yoga classes of all types, from Hatha to Ashtanga to Yin to Restorative to like all kinds. They even have meditation on there and chakras and all kinds of wonderful things. And, but what I love about it is that because I practice yoga every day, I don't have to leave the house, but I can also customize. So today I'm really having a cranky shoulder and I'm tired. So I can go into my yoga glow app and say, well, I'm tired. So I'm going to choose 30 minutes. I definitely need yin yoga for the long stretches. And I definitely need something for shoulders. Whereas yesterday I had a lot more energy. Um, so I was able to say one hour and my stomach's been off. So I'm going to work on my digestion and yin yoga. Like you can customize it according to what you want. And it's freaking awesome. And it's $18 a month. Wow. Wow. 
It's ridiculous. It sounds awesome, and nobody has ever recommended it before. So that's so cool <laughs> that you suggested this. Love talking with you. I feel like we you could know. talk all afternoon. This has been amazing. I can't wait to publish the episode. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show, Cindy. How can we connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Okay. So two websites. One is for my speaking training, presentation coaching. It's yourpersuasivevoice.com. And the other one for my TV show is cindyuncorked.com. And as soon as I'm live on my new network in a couple of weeks, which might be when this podcast comes out, then we will have a link on the website that you can link to my network. Perfect. And I'll put that right into the show notes, mindfulnessmode.com. You can check that out and learn more. So thanks again, Cindy. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks, Thanks. everybody. Yeah. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.